are listening to the sermon podcast of Covenant Presbyterian Church. We are a community in Madison, Wisconsin, who gathers to worship, to learn, to serve, and to grow together in God's love. Please visit us online at www.covenantmadison.org, where you can find information about Covenant Ministries, as well as links to our online worship services and sermon podcasts. There are many good reasons to like Jesus. One reason is that he asked good questions. Questions like, which one of these people acted like a neighbor? Another good reason to like Jesus is that he was a good listener. He paid attention to people. He cared about people, particularly the lost and the least and the last. Another good reason to like Jesus is he encouraged people to live meaningful lives with the invitation to repent, to turn around, to change directions, to change one's mind, and to reframe one's life in terms of the kingdom of God. Another reason to like Jesus, he turned water into wine. And another reason to like Jesus He really liked food, and he liked to eat. And as our 20th century prophet Julia Child said, people who love to eat are the best people. (laughs) So Jesus is one of the best people. In the Gospels, food and Jesus appear side by side pretty consistently, especially in Luke's Gospel. Jesus provides food for thousands of people by miraculously multiplying some bread and some fish to feed all of these people. He teaches his disciples about the importance of feeding hungry people and making sure people aren't hungry as much as they can prevent it. And perhaps most significantly, Jesus over and over again shares meals with all kinds of people. He shares meals with the religious leaders, the Pharisees. He shares meals with his disciples. And I think most significantly, he shares meals with the people who were often ignored or excluded or forgotten from those meals. The foreigners, the outcasts, the sick people, the women, the ones who were not invited to the parties, the so-called sinners, if you will. The political and religious leaders of the day weren't real keen on the way Jesus broke those social codes and ate with these inappropriate people because sharing a meal is a sign of intimacy, the sign of like acceptance and affirmation. And when Jesus did that with these inappropriate or sinful people, he was saying they were okay and the religious and political leaders were not okay with that. I've read some biblical scholars who say with just a tad of irony that Jesus was arrested and tried and convicted and killed because of bad table manners. Maybe. So thinking about all these meals that Jesus had with all these different people, I kind of wonder, what did they talk about at the table? Wouldn't it be cool to sit in and listen to the conversation? Most of the gospel accounts of those meals, we don't know what they talked about. But in today's gospel, we do. We get a little bit of their conversation. Jesus and the disciples share an intimate meal together, what we've come to know as the Last Supper. And in that meal, Jesus shares some words with them and then points the focus to what happens after the meal. Listen for God's word from Matthew's gospel. 
on the first day of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where do you want us to make the preparations for you to eat the Passover? Jesus said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is near. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover meal. When it was evening, he took his place with the 12 disciples, and while they were eating, Jesus said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. And they became greatly distressed and began to say one after the other, surely not I, Lord. He answered, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that one by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that one not to have been born. Judas, who betrayed him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus replied, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will never again drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung the hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even if all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to Peter, truly I tell you, this very night before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to Jesus, even though I must die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Thanks be to God for the words of Scripture. So Jesus shares this holy meal with the disciples, and the conversation turns to betrayal and denial. Not exactly a happy meal. But when we celebrate communion here at Covenant, like we do on the first Sunday of every month, we emphasize what our tradition tells us that it's the joyful feast of the people of God. And we get that from Scripture. There are multiple places in the Bible where we read about God's promise of heaven being a place that involves food. In, in Isaiah chapter 25, we read, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines. And the Lord will destroy in this mountains the shroud that's cast over the people. And then, as we read last week, God will wipe away the tears from all the faces. So this vision of heaven from the prophet Isaiah involves the no more tears angle, but it also involves a feast with good food and good wine. Pretty good image. In Luke's gospel, we read about how people will come from north and south and east and west and take their place at the banquet the kingdom of God. Again, this image of people coming together, all the people coming together for a big meal. Maybe that's why churches have potluck meals so often, right? What a great vision. Then in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, the imagery continues. This sense of um, people will come together and there will be no more hunger for anyone. 
There'll be enough food for everyone. So there's a sense of abundance, food for everyone, and festive celebration that runs through our scripture. If heaven or the afterlife has anything to do with a big meal and a big party, that sounds pretty good to me. Sign me up. The hope with communion here on earth is that the meal would nourish us and remind us about God's love, God's sacrificial love in the person of Jesus and give us strength for faithful living so we know that God is forgiving, so we have the power to forgive people. And it links us together with Christians around the world who share the bread and share the cup. In its essence, communion reminds us that God loves us and God feeds us and God sends us out into the world to love one another and to feed one another. So the question seems to be, we share communion, what happens after the communion? What happens after the meal? The biblical narrative for today tells us about betrayal and denial. As Jesus predicted, Judas goes and betrays Jesus. As Jesus predicted, Peter goes and denies Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. So maybe we should think at least a little bit as we enter into this Holy Week what betrayal and what denial look like. Some of us might have been to churches where we were told not to deny Jesus, which meant that we shouldn't be ashamed to talk about Jesus, that we shouldn't be ashamed to witness and to share our faith and to invite people to church and to tell them about the steps to salvation. And while those words are important, there might be a place for appropriate words with people. What I think is more important is our deeds, is our actions, in terms of whether or not we betray and deny Jesus. And the reality is, I think we do betray and deny Jesus in a variety of ways. One way I think we betray and deny Jesus is when we take our loved ones for granted, when we just kind of go through the motions of life. I grew up in Connecticut on a little side street off of Main Street, and we had next-door neighbors who were there, and they'd been there forever, this wonderful couple called Mr. and Mrs. Frank. Mr. Frank is still with us today at age 103, I believe, still living in the house. One time, when I was in my late 20s, I think, a long time ago, I got locked out of the house. I was coming home and couldn't find the, the, the key that my parents had left for me. So unannounced, I went and I knocked on the door of Mr. and Mrs. Frank because I knew they had an extra key. They had no idea I was coming, and they invited me in, and it was very clear that they had just finished having dinner together at their cozy little kitchen table. And I thought, isn't that nice? They're having dinner together, and they were just getting ready to play cards together. It's a couple in their 70s. They offered me some food, they gave me the key, all was good, and that image really stayed with me for years, the idea of this couple who'd been married forever, and here they were sharing a meal, close and cozy, and they're playing cards together afterwards. We always knew them to be kind and gracious and humble and loving and laughing in public, but apparently they were behind closed doors as well. I think sometimes we betray and deny Jesus when we take our loved ones for granted. May God help us not to do so. I think we also betray and deny Jesus 
when we fail to heed the call to be kind and generous. I know there's a good number of people from this church and other churches who like to go out to eat after worship services. And I've learned over the years, I don't usually um, go out to eat on Sundays at noontime, but I've learned over the years that among people who work at restaurants, there's a little bit of apprehension on Sunday at noontime when they see the well-dressed people coming into the restaurant because apparently the Sunday brunch church crowd, at least a noticeable amount of them, have acquired the reputation of being rude and cheap with their tips. What a great witness to the love of God in Jesus Christ. Apparently, there's too many waiters, waitresses, people who work at restaurants who are out there thinking, oh, these church people, they're just a bunch of grumpy, greedy hypocrites. Like, that's not the way it's supposed to be, right? May God help us to be kind and generous and patient here in church and especially out there in the world. I think we betray and deny Jesus when we forget that hunger is a problem for people around the world and even people in our own neighborhoods. Several years ago, when we were talking about getting the little free pantry up in front of the church, I and a few other people were just kind of wondering if we really needed it here in the near west side of Madison. Well, we certainly do. It gets emptied on a regular basis. I see people out there pretty much every week helping themselves to food. Thanks be to God. I'm glad we provide it. And I've learned in the last year or so that the River Food Pantry, making deliveries in the community, delivers to multiple homes within walking distance of this church. We have hungry neighbors, friends. We have people who don't have enough to eat. May God help us find ways to share our bread with those hungry neighbors near and far. I think it's wonderful that we come together to church to share communion, to have the bread of life and the cup of salvation, to remember the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. I think it's wonderful we come together and sing and pray and um, gather around the table. And my hope, my prayer is that we are nourished by this meal so we don't go out into the world and betray and deny Jesus by the words we say or especially by the things that we do that we don't deny our calling to love our neighbors. God feeds us with the bread and the juice, and God sends us to feed a world who's hungry in body and in spirit. In her wonderful little book called Searching for Sunday, um, Rachel Held Evans, the book is subtitled Loving, Leaving, and Finding the Church. It's her memoir, Church Life, fascinating story. She tells a story about a time when her aunt died suddenly, unexpectedly, in her early 70s. She was in good health and just died very quickly. The family gathered in Iowa um, at her uncle and aunt's house where they were going to have a memorial service. And as they gathered there, the good people of First Baptist Church kept knocking on the door and bringing over a wide assortment of food for the extended family. Rachel describes it as casseroles of cold cuts, fresh fruit and bread, homemade ice cream, and pieces of pie in every variety. And then she adds, in Iowa, by the way, jello is considered a salad. (laughs) 
So the food's accumulating as the people are grieving, and Rachel is sitting there off to the side with her father, watching her uncle greet all these people in his time of grief. And the doorbell rings one more time. And a woman walks in, and apparently under one arm, she's got several Tupperware containers filled with food, and the other arm, she's giving the uncle a hug. Rachel's father just quietly says to Rachel, that's the woman who served us communion this morning at church. And Rachel said, and there she is, serving it again. Let us pray. Loving God, thank you for coming to us in the person of Jesus to feed us with the bread of life and the cup of salvation. May the holy meal that we share be an instrument of transformation and healing so that we have the strength to go out into the world to share your love with everyone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.